You know who I am. You know who he is. You know his character. You know my character. You know our reputations for honor and telling the truth. I am anxious to have this race. You are listening to The Guardian's Reality. Coming up on today's show, we discuss the final presidential debate. And in a special positivity segment that we're calling Tiny Victories, we'll talk about how understanding the Democratic Party is as easy as ACB. Before we get into the clips that we'll be reacting to, it's important to note that we will be framing the discussion around the notion that the problems affecting America today, they didn't just magically appear in January 2017. And it was really important that Biden addressed that in this debate. He's not really ahead by many points, and there are only polls. Trump comes after Biden for his poor record of uh, eight years in office with Obama. Biden does reasonably well to fight back and perhaps shows the voters that he has learned and has changed and that this time will be different. But let's get into it. This is clip one where Biden addresses the situation of COVID-19 in America. 220,000 Americans dead. You hear nothing else I say tonight. Hear this. Anyone who's responsible for not taking control, in fact, not saying I'm, I take no responsibility initially, anyone who's responsible for that many deaths should not remain as president of the United States of America. Here we can see Biden's plan for the debate, and that's to just go after Trump for being responsible for this situation in America. Now, if you're an undecided voter, you're looking at America, you're looking at other countries around the world for comparisons. So Biden's argument doesn't necessarily hold up for some of those people, those people that would look at countries in Europe and think, well, well, they've got reasonably intelligent leaders and they've suffered quite badly through this pandemic as well. So... Maybe there are other factors at play here. Biden needs to be able to connect more with the undecided voters here. And making an argument which is quite easily rejected by the other candidate is, is not necessarily the best way to go. The expectation is we'll have another 200,000 Americans dead between now and the end of the year. If we just wore these masks, the president's own advisors have told him, we could save 100,000 lives. And we're in a circumstance where the president thus far and still has no plan, no comprehensive plan. What I would do is make sure we have everyone encouraged to wear a mask all the time. I would make sure we move in the direction of rapid testing, investing in rapid testing. I would make sure that we set up national standards as to how to open up schools and open up businesses so they can be safe and give them the wherewithal, the financial resources to be able to do that. It's a weak argument for Biden to come after Trump and his team for not having any plans when it's quite clear that plans do exist. The argument needs to be really clear that the plans the Trump administration are proposing and the plans that they've been putting in place are just not effective. So how are Biden's plans any different? Beyond basically outlining exactly what the Trump team are already doing, Biden isn't suggesting or proposing anything different or new. 
But the reality is here that Biden can't really go after Trump with the truth because the truth is Trump isn't supporting people in the way that's necessary to contain the virus. But neither are the Democrats. So you're trying to attack somebody with your hands tied behind your back the whole time because you know that you can't expose your own weaknesses. Let me follow up with you, and because this is new information, you have said a vaccine is coming soon within weeks now. Your own officials say it could take well into 2021 at the earliest for enough Americans to get vaccinated. And even then, they say the country will be wearing masks and distancing into 2022. Is your timeline realistic? No, I think my timeline is going to be more accurate. I don't know that they're counting on the military the way I do, but we have our generals lined up, one in particular that's the head of logistics. And this is a very easy distribution for him. He's ready to go as soon as we have the vaccine. And we expect to have 100 million vials. As soon as we have the vaccine, he's ready to go. Vice President Biden, your reaction, and just 40% of Americans say they would definitely agree to take a coronavirus vaccine if it was approved by the government. What steps would you take to give Americans confidence in a vaccine if it were approved? Make sure it's totally transparent. Have the scientists of the world see it, know it, look at it. Go through all the processes. And by the way, he's, this is the same fellow who told you this is going to end by Easter last time. This is the same fellow who told you that, don't worry, we're going to end this by the summer. We're about to go into a dark winter, a dark winter. And he has no clear plan, and there's no prospect that there's going to be a vaccine available for the majority of the American people before the middle of next year. President Trump, your reaction, he says you have no plan. I don't think we're going to have a dark winter at all. We're opening up our country. We've learned and studied and understand the disease, which we didn't at the beginning. When I closed and banned China from coming in heavily infected, and then ultimately Europe, but China was in January. Months later, he was saying I was xenophobic. I did it too soon. Now he's saying, oh, I should have, uh, I should have, you know, moved quicker. But he didn't move quicker. He was months behind me. It seems like Trump here is quite obviously just counting on people believing that a vaccine will be available by the end of this year and that will be enough to get them to vote for him. And Biden's response regarding the vaccine is is frustrating because the, the only response should be when the scientists say the vaccine is ready and safe, it's ready and safe. Vice President Biden, your response? My response is he is xenophobic, but not because he shut down access from China. And he did it late after 40 countries had already done that. I'm not a fan of the personal attacks, but this is a good hit from Biden because it gets to the point that Trump failed in his primary job of protecting the country. He reacted. He reacted too slowly. He did virtually nothing. And then he gets out of the hospital and he talks about where this is. Oh, don't worry. It's all going to be over soon. Come on. There's not another serious scientist in the world who thinks it's going to be over soon. President Trump, your reaction? I say over soon. I say we're learning to live with it. We have no choice. We can't lock ourselves up in a basement like Joe does. He has the <laughs> he has the ability to lock himself up. I don't know. He's obviously made a lot of money someplace. When Trump talks about learning to live with this virus, that's an important point to make because it's a response that's being echoed throughout the world. People are realising that this virus isn't going away and they're adapting their lives. They're changing the way they live in order to continue with some sense of normality for them and their families. It also provided Trump with the perfect opportunity to make fun of Joe Biden's basement lifestyle and also to link into recent reports about Hunter Biden and his business dealings with companies in Ukraine, which has received nearly zero media coverage. The conversation then returns to coronavirus, and in this part of the debate, 
Biden is making the argument that Trump is to blame and hasn't taken responsibility. And Trump's response to that is to blame China. He tries to be sympathetic and say, it's not my fault, it's not Joe's fault either. And you say, I take no responsibility. Let me talk about your two- Excuse me, I take, very full, I take full responsibility. It's not my fault that it came here, it's China's fault. And you know what, it's not Joe's fault that it came here either. It's China's fault. They kept it from going into the rest of China for the most part, but they didn't keep it from coming out to the world, including Europe and ourselves. Vice President Biden. The fact is that when we knew it was coming, when it hit, what happened? What did the president say? He said, don't worry, it's gonna go away. Be gone by Easter, don't worry, the warm weather, don't worry, maybe inject bleach. He said he was kidding when he said that, but a lot of people thought it was serious. A whole range of things the president has said, even today, he thinks we are in control. We're about to lose 200,000 more people. Let's talk about your different strategies toward dealing with this. Mr. Vice President, you suggested you would support new shutdowns if scientists recommended it. What do you say to Americans who are fearful that the cost of shutdowns, the impact on the economy, the higher rates of hunger, depression, domestic and substance abuse outweighs the risk of exposure to the virus? What I would say is I'm going to shut down the virus, not the country. It's his ineptitude that caused the, caused the country to have to shut down in large part. Why businesses have gone under, why schools are closed, why so many people have lost their living, and why they're concerned. Those other concerns are real. That's why he should have been, instead of in a sand trap in his golf course, he should have been negotiating with Nancy Pelosi and the rest of the Democrats and Republicans about what to do about the acts they were passing for billions of dollars to make sure people had the capacity. But you haven't ruled out more shutdowns. Well, no, I, I'm not shutting down the name, but there are, look, you need standards. The standard is if you have a reproduction rate in a community that's above a certain level, everybody says, slow up, more social distancing, do not open bars and do not open gymnasiums, do not open until you get this under control, under more control. But when you do open, give the people the capacity to be able to open and have the capacity to do it safely. The first point I like to talk about here is that I actually quite like this question. It's a nice broad question that talks about everyday lives, everyday issues and problems that have been affected by this virus. Biden's also forced to admit that, yeah, he might at some point in the future impose more lockdowns because that's the sensible thing to do, right, to stop the spread of the virus. But he, of course, doesn't want people to realise that's what he would do because he needs to offer something different to what Donald Trump is doing. Now, it's a really difficult balancing act here because you, on one hand, want to protect the economy, which is people's jobs and livelihoods. And, of course, on the other hand, you want to protect people's lives. So what you don't want is a situation where people die because they have to go to work because you're unable to provide them with resources so that they don't have to risk their lives just to continue being alive. So it's a lose-lose for lots of people in lots of situations, isn't it? They don't have enough money to stay at home and stay safe, so they have to go to work. And if they go to work, they increase the risk of getting sick and then passing that on to their family or their community. So unless, as a government, you're prepared to offer people something that would protect them and their way of life, whether that's support to work from home or whether that's a basic income so that they don't have to go to work, that people have a choice 
if you're not prepared to offer that, then it's really difficult to continue this conversation. What Trump is arguing really is that we need this country to continue, we need to keep open, but we need to do so safely. That's exactly the same as what Biden is saying. Because actually both sides accept that that's what has to happen. Because neither side is prepared to offer the alternative, which is give people money so they can buy food and they can stay safe. The next clip we have here, we'll see Trump turning the conversation to Hunter Biden. One thing. Very quickly. His son didn't have a job for a long time, was sadly no longer in the military service. I won't get into that. And he didn't have a job. As soon as he became vice president, Burisma, not the best look, not the best reputation in the world. I hear they paid him 183,000 a month. Listen to this. 183, and they gave him a $3 million upfront payment. All right. And he had no I, energy I'm going to let the vice president That's respond to that quickly, and then dishonest. I need to get to a question to you very no quickly. No basis for that. Everybody investigated that. No one said anything he did was wrong in Ukraine. Biden quickly refocuses the line of conversation onto the American people, conveniently moving away from having to explain the situation regarding his son. It's not about his family and my family. It's about your family. And your family's hurting badly. If you're making less than, if you're a middle-class family, you're getting hurt badly right now. You're sitting at the kitchen table this morning deciding, well, we can't get new tires or the ball because we have to wait another month or so. Or are we going to be able to pay the mortgage? Or who's going to tell her she can't go back to, to community college? They're the decisions you're making in the middle-class families like I grew up in Scranton and Claymont. They're in trouble. We should be talking about your families, but that's the last thing he wants to talk about. And on that note, the conversation does turn to American families and the issues that are facing them every single day. As of tonight, more than 12 million people are out of work. And as of tonight, 8 million more Americans have fallen into poverty and more families are going hungry every day. Those hit hardest are women and people of color. They see Washington fighting over a relief bill. Mr. President, why haven't you been able to get them the help they need? 30 seconds here. Because Nancy Pelosi doesn't want to approve it. I do. But you're the president. I do, but I still have to get. Unfortunately, that's one of the reasons I think we're going to take over the House because of her. Nancy Pelosi doesn't want to approve anything because she'd love to have some victories on a date called November 3rd. Nancy Pelosi does not want to approve it. We are ready, willing, and able to do something. Don't forget, we've already approved three plans, and it's gone through, including the Democrats, in all fairness. This one she doesn't want. It's near the election because she thinks it helps her politically. I think it hurts her politically. All right, Mr. Vice way, President, you know, The Republican leader in the, in, in the United States Senate said he can't pass it. He will not be able to pass it. He does not have Republican votes. Why isn't he talking to his Republican friends? Let me follow up with you, Vice President. If we made a Biden, deal because the let me let me ask Vice it. President Biden a question. You are the leader of the Democratic Party. Why have you not pushed the Democrats to get a deal for the American people? Well, I haven't. Perhaps the most disappointing episode in this election cycle has been the inability of both sides to get a stimulus package through to save and to protect the lives of the American people. There are people that need that money. There are people that have no job. There are people that are desperate. And neither side is willing to concede or do what is necessary to get money to people. The Democrats are holding out because they want more. The Republicans are rejecting because they want less or none. 
And what does Donald Trump do? Nothing. What does Biden do? Nothing. What does Pelosi do? Nothing. They're all pointing fingers. It's somebody else's fault. It's never their fault. When the reality is it's all of their faults. Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden, Donald Trump. Do any of them really understand what it might be like for regular people at this time, this year? Those people that have lost jobs. How disheartening it is to have the leaders of your country care so little that they can't agree how much money to give you as a tiny little handout. So Ice Cube elegantly put it, they just pulled three trillion out of their ass and gave it to their friends. Whenever the biggest companies or the richest people need help, they get it straight away. But when it's just regular people need a little bit of help, no, we're going to negotiate. Is that really the best use of their power and their time, and their effort and energy? The first stimulus package oversaw the largest upward transfer of wealth in the history of America. Very little went to the ordinary people in the country. This is an easy win for Donald Trump. All he needs to do is look at the numbers. Oh, if the Democrats want this, the Republicans offer that. Donald Trump comes in. I'll double it. I'll triple it. I'm sure they could find the money somewhere. If it were for bombs to drop on other countries, it would already be done. But when it's money for American families, sorry, too much. How are you going to pay for it? Nancy Pelosi should be ashamed of herself. They don't want to get anything done before the election because, oh, people will think it means Trump's a hero and they'll vote for him. That's how unintelligent they think the voters are. That because someone will give them a little bit of money that they'll go and vote for them. No, not at all. If you were to look after the people of a country, if you were to look after the vulnerable, they would thank you and appreciate you more. Isn't that why you got into politics? to make places better, to make your communities better. You can pretend, you can fool yourself, fine. But you can't fool the voters, can you? They don't vote for you because you're the best option. They vote for you because you're the least worst option. That's an embarrassing situation to be in. People only vote for you because the other person is more disgusting. It doesn't seem like the Democrats will be bothered if Donald Trump wins. They enjoy having somebody to blame and point the finger at. They enjoy having a fool. Just like Boris Johnson in England. It's fun to have someone so idiotic in charge. Because everybody looks at them and watches them while everything else in the background that's going on gets very little attention. When the conversation turns to immigration policy, Trump manages to land an important hit. Who built the cages? I'd love you to ask him that. Who built the cages? Let me ask about your immigration policy, Mr. Vice President. The Obama administration did fail to deliver immigration reform, which had been a key promise during the administration. It also presided over record deportations as well as family detentions at the border before changing course. So why should voters trust you with an immigration overhaul now? 
Because we made a mistake. It, made too, it took too long to get it right. It took too long to get it right. I'll be President of the United States, not Vice President of the United States. And the fact is, I've made it very clear. Within 100 days, I'm going to send to the United States Congress a pathway to citizenship for over 11 million undocumented people. And all of those so-called dreamers, those DACA kids, they're going to be immediately certified again to be able to stay in this country and put on a path to citizenship. Now, I really like this answer from Biden because he finally addresses some of the criticisms from the previous administration. So if you're looking to win over undecided voters, this is exactly what he needs to do. Trump also makes a really good attack here. Who built the cages, Joe? Who built the cages? But it's nice that Biden takes some kind of responsibility for the mistakes that were made. But the key takeaway here for me is that it just demonstrates that no matter what administration you have, if you're changing the rules and creating the conditions, whether or not you abuse them to some extent or to a large extent, sooner or later someone's going to come along and use that. Whatever the original purpose of those cages was for, they were built by the Obama administration during his time. The Obama administration deported record numbers. If you want to earn the trust of people, you want people to vote for you. You've got to come clean. Biden does well to navigate this topic in order to direct it towards something that he has a plan for. It doesn't take Biden too long to get back on track with the personal attacks, and that doesn't mean we anywhere near disagree with what he's saying here, but there needs to be more than just saying what Donald Trump is. It's, it's obvious what he is. It's obvious who he is. So where's your argument? What's your point? Abraham Lincoln here is one of the most racist presidents we've had in modern history. He pours fuel on every single racist fire. Every single one. Started off his campaign coming down the escalator saying he's going to get rid of those Mexican rapists. He's banned Muslims because they're Muslims. He has moved around and made everything worse across the board. He says to the, about the poor boys, last time we were on stage here, he said, I told him to stand down and stand ready. Come on. This guy has a dog whistle about as big as a foghorn. So this kind of comment is straight out of the 2016 playbook. Yet again, it's all about personality. No substance, no policy. It's vote for me because I'm not Donald Trump. It's vote for us because we're good. Orange man is bad. I think people are beyond tired of this by now. They already think they've got it in the bag. And if they haven't, they're not even that bothered. Trump wins? Great. We've got four more years of having someone to blame for our own failings. You know who I am. You know who he is. You know his character. You know my character. You know our reputations for honor and telling the truth. I am anxious to have this race. I am anxious to see this take place. I am the character of the country is on the ballot. Our character is on the ballot. Look at us closely. The last thing Biden wants is for people to think about his truth and honor. It doesn't take much to Google search, go through Biden's career history, 47 years in politics. You can find plenty of examples where he's either been dishonest or he's made bad decisions. So you want to talk about somebody's character? Yeah, Trump's character is horrendous. But really? The Democrats? Really? Biden? You're going to go with that kind of argument? 
you're going to gaslight people into voting for you based on personality. Why don't you offer something? Why don't you demonstrate your character by understanding what people actually want and providing it for them, promising them, promising them healthcare, not affordable healthcare, free healthcare, not affordable college, free college. Why don't you realize that the more educated people are, the better it is for everybody. The better it is for the individual who gets to perhaps follow their dreams and work themselves into a better position in life. And better for the country and the communities that have people with more skills. They have a happier lifestyle because they're perhaps doing what they want to do rather than what they have to do just to make ends meet, to pay the bills. Isn't that the point of government? To provide a country where people can grow and be better and follow their dreams? Wouldn't that be better as an argument? Wouldn't it be better coming from a position where you're the person offering that to someone? Rather than either shaming them into voting for you or blaming them. It seems pretty simple that when you have a group of people telling you what they want in order to get their vote, that you just offer that and you will get their vote. The only reason you wouldn't do that is if you think you don't need them. You can't shame somebody for thinking about considering an alternative if you're not offering something better. People that don't vote make a conscious choice not to vote because neither or none of the options are enough for what they want. Nobody offers them what they want, so why should they choose somebody? Give them a reason to vote, and they will vote for you. It really is that simple. If this debate is anything to go by, the result of this election can go either way. Am I ready to say who I think is going to win? Absolutely not. The media has stigmatised the idea of supporting Trump so extremely that we don't really have any realistic idea of understanding how many supporters, how many people are going to be voting for him. It appears that Trump's supporters are more passionate compared to Biden's supporters. But how that translates into votes, we don't know yet. Biden did enough here to hold his ground. And Trump didn't do anything particularly extreme that perhaps would have been able to convince enough people to vote for him. It seems pretty clear that most people at this point would have made up their mind. And what that choice is, we'll find out very soon. And now it's time for our tiny victory. Amy Coney Barrett. ACB was confirmed this week, so where do we go from here? And why is this a tiny victory? It's a great opportunity for people to really learn and understand more about the Democratic Party and the way they operate. When the news of the death of Justice Ginsburg came to light, the Democratic Party went into overdrive. They went on the offensive, attacking Republicans and Trump straight away for even suggesting that they might fill this position. What would be wrong with filling the position? Isn't it the right of the sitting president to be able to do that? 
irregardless of your preferences. If the rules are, if you're president, you get to do this, then that's what happens. It doesn't matter if that offends you. It doesn't matter what that might mean for you and your team. But they're the rules that everyone plays by. You can't just complain, oh, well, we won the popular vote. But that's not the system in America. The system is the electoral college. You didn't win if you didn't win by the rules that you've all agreed to play by. But Obama, he didn't, he didn't confirm somebody in his final year as president. No, he didn't, and he, but he wanted to. So what was the reason he didn't? Was it anything to do with the fact that he didn't actually have the power to do that? They didn't control all the houses. So what, the Republicans are just going to let a Democratic president choose a justice? Do we believe for even a moment that Obama wouldn't have done this if it would have been possible? Of course not. He absolutely would have done. And there would have been nothing wrong with that. It would have been his right as a sitting president. I'm concerned for the way that this issue was used to simulate anger and aggression from the Democratic side. You've got to compare the reaction of the Democratic politicians to the actual actions that they undertook in order to prevent this process from going through. The Democratic Party did essentially nothing. If they wanted to stop this confirmation, they could have done. There was plenty that they could have done. You can go off and research the particulars. So the truth of the matter is that they didn't want to stop this. So we need to ask ourselves the question, well, why didn't they? Was it so that they could manufacture the outrage that would strategically give them that boost, that push to the finish line on election day? Maybe. They certainly used the issue to fundraise, and I'm not blaming them for doing that. But is it being dishonest to those people that support you when you, you encourage them to be angry about something? You say, oh, there's no way we're going to let this happen. And then do nothing to stop it. So we've learned more about the Democratic Party and the way they operate. And that's why I'm calling this a tiny victory. And there we go. That was the first ever episode of The Guardians of Reality. Thank you very much for listening, and we hope that you'll join us next time. Cheerio. Thank you.